Well, good morning. It's good to see you all, and Happy New Year. It's always a, a joy to be here at St. John. Um, uh, thank you, Tom, for giving up Sunday and the pulpit for, to share with me. Although I'm sure it's nice to have a rest, and Ashley as well. Uh, thank you all for the opportunity just to be here, and thank you to you all as a church. Uh, for those of you that do not know, you all have partnered with us in ministry, my wife, Audrey, and my three kids, Ruby, June, and Georgia, over the past 17 years, uh, which is wild to think that it's been 17 years. But St. John has been faithful in your partnership with us as missionaries with Go Ministries. Uh, this morning, my hope uh, is to share a little bit more with you all about Go Ministries, really who we were 30 years ago when we started and the direction that we're going now in the future uh, but I also hope that you hear my heart uh, as a ministry, how we want to continue to partner together in the future with St. John and churches all over the world to make disciples that make disciples. And I would love to be able to piggyback on what Ashley talked about last week. Uh, for those of you that did not hear her, go back and listen to that because uh, it was pretty strong and uh, pretty straightforward about what our role is as believers and disciples of Jesus. Um, so the history just kind of between Go Ministries and St. John, uh, Audrey and I moved to the island of Hispaniola back in 2005. Uh, we were newly married for about six weeks and uh, went off on an adventure to the Dominican Republic that was supposed to last about two years, uh, we thought. And uh, 14 years later, we were still living there uh, with our three girls. And so just uh, about two and a half years ago, we moved back to Louisville, Kentucky, um, and now we serve as the, the president of Go Ministries, which is an honor. Uh, one of the things that I've learned by coming back to the States is that ministry is not limited to the island of Hispaniola. Uh, my heart certainly was there. Our heart was there. Our life was there. Uh, but God made it very evident that when we moved back to Louisville that uh, there is work to be done all over the world, and God is at work all over the world. And so uh, it's a joy to be here in Louisville. I grew up here, grew up at this church, and so it's fun to be able to be back home in a place that is very uh, familiar. Shortly after we moved to the Dominican in 2005, St. John uh, was so faithful in coming down to start serving alongside of us. And the group, I think, affectionately known as the Baker's Dozen, was the first crew to come visit with us and serve alongside of us and our local leaders uh, down on the DR. And St. John has faithfully done that year after year after year in normal years, not COVID years, uh, over the past 17 years. And so we are grateful for the work uh, that has been done. Uh, but in order to learn a little bit more about Go Ministries uh, and set the stage for this morning message, I want to show a video. Uh, we just celebrated 30 years of ministry, and this is uh, the, the video that kind of speaks to the past and how we got started uh, at Go. So please just take a, take a look at this video. In the early 80s, Ramon Gabriel, along with his wife Tata and their six children, moved to the community of Oya del Caimito in Santiago, Dominican Republic, where there was a great need for education and discipleship. Antes de venir para Santiago, yo vendía seguro. La visión mía fue siempre parcir el evangelio. Por aquí yo no me conocía nada. La familia de mía era una madre, yo no conocía nada. I was raised in church. My father worked overseas most of my young life, so I was raised by almost a single mom and got in my fair share of mischief. And uh, my sister was going to a Bible college, and a friend she met there, John Kohler, and he waited up for me one night. He didn't judge me, he didn't stick a finger in my chest. He just simply said, brother, God loves you, and he has a better plan for your life. And I gave my life to Christ completely. I went on a mission trip, and the, and the most amazing thing happened was everything went wrong. But God worked in my heart and life in a way I 
to have never been possible. It all began there. Porque aquí me puse a, a, a levantar una iglesia, vimos la necesidad que en verdad ellos no podían pagar, comprar materiales. Entonces Tata me dijo, ¿por qué no pongamos una escuelita? Y reunimos 37 niños. Es algo sorprendente porque nosotros manteníamos de mi profesión de, de vendedor de seguros. I got to the Dominican in 91 and I absolutely just fell in love with the people there and decided this is where God had called me to spend the rest of my life there. It was really the Gabrielle family that we stayed with. It dawned on me, I am witnessing um, servant leadership. I'm witnessing the king of mutual transformation. Ramon was super passionate about sports, about kids getting an education, about serving his community and the poor, um, uh, and, and just about lost people. What was different than any other ministry I saw is he was doing um, apprenticeship long before they had a term for it. He literally gave us the model of church planning 30 years ago. I just made a commitment right then. Uh, so in 94, we started using the name Go Ministry and incorporated in 96, and Ramon Gabriel became our first president. <laughs> Can't help but smile every time I see Tata uh, and Gabriel. Uh, just their faithfulness is, is unbelievable. And so, as you guys can see, uh, there, was a, there was a seed that was planted in the heart uh, of Ramon Gabriel and his wife Tata, and there was a seed that was planted in the heart uh, of Brooke Brothman many years ago uh, that God just continued to nurture and to water and to develop uh, that turned into a life of obedience. And uh, this is really close to my heart because because of their obedience, it changed my life. When I went on a trip for the very first time when I was 17 years old, God planted a seed in my heart that continued to grow and grow and grow for this ministry. And so that's really where I want to spend my time this morning. And we're going to spend some time in Mark 4. But I want you guys to grab a hold of this idea that, that God plants a seed and then he grows it and then asks us to be obedient to what it is that he's asking of us. And then we just get to watch what God does as we continue to be obedient to his calling to make disciples that make disciples. And so uh, in, in Mark 4... Uh, kind of leading up to this point, we're going to kind of breeze through Mark 4. I'm not going to do the whole thing and wear you guys out. But uh, at this point in the book of Mark, Jesus uh, in his life of ministry has now been baptized. There's been uh, some fishermen that have decided to follow him. He has begun teaching. Uh, he's healed some people. He's eaten with sinners and been judged because of that. Uh, religious leaders have started to question him because some of his teachings and his actions. Uh, he has uh, healed on the Sabbath um, he's broken rules, crowds begin to follow him, and at this point he has chosen his 12 disciples, and this is where we're going to pick up in Mark 4. And so uh, this is where Jesus begins uh, to teach in parables and spend some time on the topics of seed and soil. And you all have heard this story as he describes a farmer who scatters seed and then some falls on a path, some on rocky places where the soil was shallow, some among thorns where it gets choked out. 
And then finally, there's some seed that falls on healthy soil, and it produced a crop that multiplies 30, 60, or even 100 times. As Jesus continues on after he has taught this parable to the crowd, and this is what Jesus does often, he'll teach to crowds, but then he grabs his 12 disciples and he pulls them closer. And so he teaches to this crowd this idea, but he grabs this crew and says, I want to go deeper with you. I want you guys to understand. They may not understand yet, but these are the 12. You are the 12 that I've chosen to invest in and to disciple because there's going to be a day where I'm not going to be here and I'm going to send you out. And so we see this in Mark 4, and he begins to teach kind of the details of those four soils. And uh, this is what it, what it says. He explains that the farmer sows the word, and some people hear it, but Satan comes immediately and removes what has been sown. Others hear it and receive it with joy, but it has no root, so it only lasts a short time because troubles and persecution come because of the word, so they quickly fall away. And then others hear it, but the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth and desires and for other things come in and choke out the word that has been planted, making it unfruitful. But in the final group is the seed that is sown on good soil where they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce and multiply. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard this story many times, I've read this story many times, and I kind of pass over it thinking, yeah, I know this story, we're supposed to be the deliverers of the gospel, we're supposed to go out and scatter seed, and you know, that's our job so that people can hear, and, and you know, sometimes they hear it, sometimes they don't, sometimes it falls on good soil, which is a great thing, and they produce fruit, and this is good, this is what we're supposed to do. But as I was reading it this time, I recognized something a little bit different, a little bit deeper. And I don't think that at this point when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he wasn't quite yet telling them that it's their job to go and sow seed. He was talking about the soil and the nature of their heart at this point. And we can read in Mark 4, 21, it says, Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is, is placed on a stand where it's light will shine, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought into the light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he says in 24, then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, but for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So he goes from this illustration of talking about a farmer and seeds being sown, and then he jumps to this lamp on a stand and this light, and then we'll see here in a few verses, he goes back to this sowing and this seed illustration. But what I believe that he's saying here, and this is what I've missed many times, is that Jesus is telling his disciples that the light of Jesus' truth is revealed to us, it's not hidden. But we may not be able to see or use all of that truth right now when we're first exposed to it, when that seed is first planted. Only as we put God's teachings into practice will we understand and see more of the truth. The truth is clear, but our ability to understand is imperfect. And this is the part that really stood out to me. As we obey, as we obey God's word, we will sharpen our vision and increase our understanding. This is what it means to be a disciple. So we don't just hear God's word and then immediately go out and sow seeds because maybe we're not quite ready. So Jesus at this point is talking to disciples about the soil, the nature of their hearts before he starts telling them to go out. 
It's not until we begin to obey and truly know and grow in the truth of the word that Jesus then goes on to teach about our duty as sowers of the seed. So if we continue on in Mark 4, we see an incredible story of what happens when the word takes root in their hearts, in the hearts of the disciples, and then they are invited on a journey where obedience is required. And this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture because it's pretty much a wild ride. So as we read this story, uh, let's ask ourselves, what can we learn from this story? What can we expect when we obey? What does it look like when we obey what Christ is asking of us? So we're going to pick up in Mark 4, verse 35. Uh, This is where Jesus calms the storm. It's a story that you all, I'm sure, are familiar, familiar with. And this is how it reads. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I love this story because it speaks to the obedience of the disciples. Again, at this point, they had spent a significant amount of time with Jesus, but like we know on the path and the, and the journey of discipleship, we get to know more about the nature and the character and the life of Jesus the more that we spend time with him. So they're still getting to know him. They don't know necessarily everything that is yet to happen, even though he's been teaching them. And so as we break this down line by line, in verse 35, it says, let's go over to the other side. So there's an invitation. Jesus is asking his disciples to go somewhere with him and to get in the boat and go to the other side. And we see here Jesus saying, let's go to an unfamiliar place where risk and uncertainty awaits us. And in verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. See, at this point, they thought that they knew Jesus. And when I've read this and I've heard commentaries about it, that phrase, just as he was, could have meant that he didn't pack anything, he didn't take anything with him, he just got in the boat, and just as Jesus was, he went. But I believe that there's more to this story, that Jesus got into that boat, and the disciples took him just as he was, meaning they knew him in a specific light at that point when he got in the boat. But by the time they were going to get to the other side, they were going to know Jesus at a whole nother level. He was going to reveal himself to them in ways that they had yet to experience. And so through obedience, we understand more and more about who Jesus is as we spend a life with him. Then we see in verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So we understand that in their journey to the other side, they encountered danger and they encountered risk on their journey where Jesus was taking them. In verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Here we are in this boat that you asked us to get into to go over to the other side. This storm comes up, and you're asleep. Do you not care? Have you abandoned us? How do you not care if we drown? Why in the world did you ask us to go do this thing? And so they felt I would imagine they probably felt abandoned and began to question the journey that Jesus had asked them to go on. And then in 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, 
be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. I know we've read this story many times, we've heard it, but just imagine what that must have been like, that the waves and the wind listened to his voice. And the point of this is they had called out to Jesus, and he responded. He hadn't abandoned them. You know, I wonder what the disciples really expected Jesus to do in that time. Again, they didn't really know his full capabilities, and so they were just scared to death because of that storm, but they called out to Jesus, probably going, help us, you're our leader, what in the world are we supposed to do? I can't imagine that they fully expected him to calm the waves and quiet the storm. And so then in verse 40, he says, disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And remember, this question could seem kind of harsh, but Jesus is on this journey with his disciples because he's preparing for one day for him to be ascended into heaven and send his disciples out to continue this movement of the gospel being spread all over the world. So their faith was questioned because of their doubt after everything that they had already known about Jesus. And although they had spent time with Jesus and called him teacher and rabbi, they were on a journey unlike any other, so doubt and fear were still very real at this point At this point in their life. I think I can resonate with that. I hope that you guys can too. No matter how long we walk with Jesus, human nature still comes in and we doubt and we have fears. And then we see in 41, it says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So first, they were afraid of the storm and then Jesus calms it and then they become terrified. At least that's the way that the story is told. And first read that, and I thought, well, why, what are they still scared of? The storm is calm, and, you know, these guys have spent some time out in the ocean. A lot of them are fishermen. They should be fine. But the next line says, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So on this journey, and that's kind of that point of Jesus got in the boat just as he was. But at this point, even the disciples were saying, who is this man? He just calmed the storm with his voice. And so they went from being afraid to terrified. So Jesus became someone else at another level in the eyes of the disciples. So out of their obedience to his call to get in the boat and go to the other side, after this experience, they knew Jesus in a deeper way. And so what can we learn from this story about obedience and a disciple of Jesus? And why is this so important this morning? Why have I chosen to talk about this morning, and why does it mean so much to me in my life? But we see a seed that has been planted in the, in the hearts of the disciples, and then obedience to a call that Jesus has asked them to go to the other side, and then later on in the story, we're going to see the result of their obedience, which is pretty incredible. So in verse 35, when it says, let's go over to the other side, we recognize and we learn that obedience sometimes requires venturing into a place physically, emotionally, spiritually, that is often unfamiliar and when there is is a need for our presence. So obedience sometimes leads us to those places. In 36, when it says leaving the crowd behind, obedience sometimes just requires us to be willing. Jesus said it and the disciples went. When we decide to obey, we will find that sometimes we are asked to leave the crowd behind, which sometimes is really difficult. Sometimes it's not just limited to a crowd of people, but it might be a way of life. It might be uh, some things within our culture that are popular that we're asked to leave behind to follow Jesus. In 37, when it says a furious squall came up, it reminds us that when we are living in a life of obedience with Christ, there will be storms, there will be trials, there will be tests along the way, 
because we live in a broken world. Satan hates when the followers of Jesus obey what it is that Jesus asks us to do. And so you better believe that he's coming up with a plan of attack. In 38, when it says, are you sleeping? Don't you care? When a storm comes in life, our natural tendency is to say to Jesus, where are you? Why me? Why have you asked me to do this? I'm doing this for you. Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Aren't you supposed to be facing this storm with me? Has anybody else ever experienced that? I know I have. So obedience to Christ is also going to call us to trust that he is there with us. And we see him respond in verse 39 with this word rebuked. Jesus has authority. We're reminded that Jesus has authority over all things. Over all things. This word rebuked is the same that's used for casting out demons. And that's why I believe that it could have been Satan that brought about this storm because he rebuked it. He cast it out. He said, be quiet and be still. If we truly understand the love of Christ, we should be willing to go and do as he leads. Can we trust him? Can we trust God? Will we trust God? Do we want to trust God? Do we trust that Jesus is right there leading us just as he was when he asked us to obey and get in that boat? And then we see the word faith in verse 40. Obedience requires a healthy dose of faith. Sigmund Freud said, how bold one gets when one is sure of being loved. I'm going to read that again. How bold one gets when we are sure of being loved. There's just a, I would do just about anything if I am 100% sure of my identity and that I am loved by Jesus. But fear of obedience usually comes down to a little lack of faith. If we truly understand the love of Christ, we should be willing to go. And then in verse 41, that word terrified, this goes back to that just as he was comment. When we live in obedience, we will encounter Jesus in ways that we never even imagined. When the disciples agreed to go over to the other side of that day, they didn't know what they were getting into. Jesus may have known, but they had no idea what they're getting into. And by the time they got to the other side, again, the relationship with Jesus had grown to a place where they trusted him more and they were even more willing to go with him where he asked them to go. You know, sometimes I think we've known, we've known him, we've read his word, we've listened to lovely songs, we've gone to church, but is there more to him than we already know? What happens when we survive a storm? in our life? How does our relationship with Jesus go to the next level? I'm convinced that we won't really know, we won't really see or know Jesus in our life and ministry if we're not willing to step into obedience. You know, I read this story and I really resonate with the story because when we moved to the Dominican Republic in 2005, we didn't really know anything whatsoever. We didn't know the language. Uh, There were only a couple other Americans that served with Go Ministries at that time, and so we didn't really have friends, um, and it was hard to make friends when you can't speak the language. Um, But we didn't know what we were getting into, but I remember the day when things clicked. There was a man who came down several years later who helped start our our seminary down in the Dominican, and he continued to speak into me and teach to me this overarching story of what God was up to in Scripture. Creation, fall, and then everything after that is God restoring things back to him. And that through Jesus, he invited each and every one of us to be his disciple and then to go and make disciples. And when I think about Gabrielle and Brooke's story, I can guarantee you that the two of them, when they started this ministry, they were just responding to a seed that was planted in their hearts and they were being obedient to what God was asking them, but they had no idea of what was come, what was to come in the future. And so the obedience of a few 
has triggered a transformation in the lives of many. Take a look at this video real quick, and then we'll, we'll close out here in a minute. But I want you to see where our ministry is headed in the future. As we talk about the future of Go Ministries, I could not be more excited. Do you understand what's happening here right now? Is kids are getting an opportunity to grow and to learn and to dream and to have vision and to believe that it is possible for them to change the world. When Go Ministries was founded, it was great opportunities in global outreach. I know it's always been the desire to not just serve on the island of Hispaniola, but to serve all over the world globally. The leadership development complex is key to helping us get there. It is a place, a holy place, that is set aside to be able to prepare and train and equip and send people all over the world to do ministry. The global vision of church planting is to plant a thousand churches in 10 years. Go Ministries is ready to have a strong presence off the island of Hispaniola. And we are so excited to be able to equip and train and send people to do ministry in places like Mexico, Argentina, Panama, Costa Rica, or wherever it is that God leads us. Well, right now we're in Mexico. Uh, as we're here right now today, standing in Monterey, um, these guys, we just left and they want to see 50 churches start um, beginning here in Monterey. Oh, how beautiful are the feet they that carry the gospel. I was, I was empowered by Go Ministry uh, as a young boy. So now part of my calling in life, I've been empowered to empower others. How beautiful are the feet they that carry the gospel. I remember the first time that I heard the, the phrase, we're gonna plant a thousand churches in 10 years. Uh, it was overwhelming to think about a thousand churches. But, you know, the more I started understanding the vision and knowing how powerful God is, I remember I said, 10,000 churches is gonna be an easy number to, to, to accomplish. Not because we are gonna do it, but because God is in this and he, it is gonna happen. We can do this again and again and again. And like we're standing here in Monterey, right? We can do this over and over and over again and people can begin sending people out to the LDC and that place becomes a sending center for what we're doing through God. that we got to keep going and now we have the LDC. The LDC is the tipping point for this vision. Uh, you know it's gonna be happening globally more and more and this is just the beginning. We're really excited for what God is doing and for what is about to happen because I know the best is yet to come. Uh, because we've seen the fruit that has come from the Central Church. We've seen the fruit of the obedience of the Gabrielle family and Brooke and other missionaries that have come along and people that have gone on mission trips and on and on and on. And so if that's going to start taking place in other countries as God leads, then yeah, if our future is any indication of what God has done in our past, then I can't imagine being a part of anything else. Because it's bigger than us. One of the things we've learned over the years is that when you make disciples first, you see the church emerge after that. 
And so we see this in that story. Because the disciples were obedient to where Jesus was leading them, there was, uh, they, they, on the other side, what awaited them was craziness, but at the same time, there were 10 cities represented there, and there were about 4,000 people. People came to know Jesus. Leaders came from that region. That region was affected for 300 plus years because of Gabrielle and Brooke being faithful and obedient to what God was asking of them. Our organization is now going out into places that we never even dreamed or imagined. And so my challenge for us this morning, as we understand our, our, our place as a disciple, is to, to take an account. What is the nature of the soil of your heart today as a disciple of Jesus? And then what does it look like for you to introduce others to Jesus? What does it look like for you to make disciples in your own context? So take an account. One of the questions we ask all of our staff and our pastors and everybody is, who has God placed in your care? Who do you feel spiritually responsible for? Is it a neighbor? Is it people within your own home? Is it a coworker? But take an account for your life as a disciple and who God has placed in your life to make a disciple. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity just to be here. Thank you so much for your word and what it teaches us. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we may have life and eternity with you. Thank you so much for teaching us that our life isn't just limited to salvation and eternity, but there is something that you've invited us into that we get to live out every single day until it is until we are in your presence for eternity, and that is a life of a disciple as a disciple and a life committed to making disciples. Let us be a church. Let us be a people that is passionate about being obedient to what you've commissioned us to do. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.